0: Welcome to The Future Fix. We often hear about new technology informing the way we live. In fact, many of us have a certain amount of anxiety about exactly that. The so called disruption the Silicon Valley crowd used to brag about, and the unintended consequences that often come with it. But sometimes, the way people live can inform new technology and its uses. In that way, the technology isn't there to replace traditions, cultures, or livelihoods. It's just an extension of what was already working. In a place like the Arctic, Where traditional knowledge has managed to sustain people for thousands of years, it's important to maintain certain long-proven practices, and the adoption of technology there is a complement to a way of life, not an alternative. You're listening to The Future Fix, solutions for communities across Canada. This is Season 3 of The Future Fix, an audio exploration of the way technology and data are shaping communities across Canada. I'm Glenn Bowerman. Each episode we present community challenges and solutions, and take you to places large and small from coast to coast to coast. In this episode, we're going to hear about Smart Ice, a social enterprise which offers climate change adaption tools that integrate traditional Indigenous knowledge of ice conditions and traversing the North, with technology that is able to monitor everything from ice thickness, air temperature, and water salinity. It was co-created in collaboration with the Nanutsiavut government in 2010 in response to extremely hazardous sea ice conditions. It now services over 30 northern communities, trains local indigenous people to operate the technology, and makes the findings available so people can make informed decisions about travelling across the ice. Andrew Reik is a Smart Ice regional operations lead for Kikiktaluk region, and we reached him in Pond Inlet. And uh, for for listeners who might not have been to the north, uh, can you describe the the communities you work with? Uh, you know, what, what are they like?
1: Uh, for my neighboring communities, their population is less than. Fifteen hundred usually, and we are divided into regions. And I'm looking after the northern part of our territory because of um, many reasons. But I fly to my neighboring communities and train locals on how to use our smart ice equipment, so they too. Can monitor their ice for their community. And they will be community based as well. But they will work seasonally um, because there's no ice during the summertime. Right. And in terms of the technology that you use,
0: I understand there's a, a combination of sort of stationary sensors about eight feet long. And then the, there's also the, the sled uh, that. Uh,
1: that you use to, to monitor the ice. That's right. Um, we monitor the ice in few different ways. One is a uh, stationary, what we call a smart buoy. These instruments are about 12 feet high with PVC pipes in between and 60 thermistors in the middle. And it has a built in GPS and a transmitter. And I don't, choose where to deploy the smart buoys i attend community meetings i ask local hunters where the best place would be to deploy our smart buoys and these smart buoys are taking temperatures of the ocean ice snow and air and we are able to look at that data in our office because that instrument has a built-in GPS and a transmitter. And the other way we monitor the ice conditions, what we call a smart kamutik. It's a ground-penetrating radar that is on the kamutik. Kamutik is a sled that is towed behind a snowmobile. So as we drive along on the ice, through the regular trail that the locals use. I also have a top pad in between my handlebars. So it it gives me an actual number of how thick the ice is as we drive along on the ice. And at the beginning of the season, I collaborate the sensor to be sure it's giving off the right thickness number. uh, So I manually drill holes on the ice and measure it manually and to, to be sure to have the confidence of my instruments that they're giving off the right thickness number. And recently we started map producing weekly maps for my community, interpreting satellite images mapping out where the fluid is, or where the dangerous areas are and how the ice is starting to form we incorporate our traditional knowledge and once we use our equipment it's not replacing our knowledge at all um, for me i rely on the knowledge that was passed down to me from my father and These instruments, they're not there to replace our knowledge, but they're a good resource also that we can provide to our community. So the community have a better idea of how the current conditions are in terms of ice. And and, and for these communities, uh, I mean...
0: Has it become more difficult to travel and just do daily things because of things like climate change and and the loss of ice over time?
1: Well, every year the ice conditions are different. Some years we might have rough ice and some years we might have smooth ice. And if we knew what was coming in terms of ice conditions, I don't think we would need a smart ice at all up in the north. This is a great adapting tool that we are able to use so we can provide that information for our local people. Since since I've started working, there has been less people falling through the ice, less search and rescue call outs, and people are more confident on how long they should be out at a certain time of years before the ice starts to break or starts to act differently.
0: And in terms of sharing the data, how do communities access the, the information that you gather with the Smart Ice?
1: Most people come to my office because I have an actual office here in the community and they're able to look at the last smart comic trail that we went on or where the one of the smart buoys are and also we use the platform siku.org s-i-k-u dot o-r-g Mm -hmm. and that's how we um share our data with the community with the younger generation at least who are more tech savvy than the older generations right as uh, some older generations, they, they like printed maps or printed data. So sometimes I print out a map and post it in the community, local places, such as the co-op store, the coffee shop, or the hamlet office.
0: And uh, w- what of the response from the communities that, that you've worked with? What has it been to Smartice?
1: Well, Smart Ice started off as a pilot project with two communities, Pond and Let, Nunavut and Nain, Labrador. And local people started noticing what I was doing and they, they had asked if I'm able to provide this type of information for the community as long as I could. And I'm, I'm still here and still providing data for the community in terms of ice conditions, and it's been going great. Um, By listening to the community needs, I get a greater support and feedback on what I do, and it's been going great ever since, and we're still growing. We have over 30 operators across Inuit Nunangat regions, and... There'll be more in the future, for sure. It seems like you, you have a lot of ground to cover. You you must uh, get
0: to talk to people all over the the North.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. We might have a slightly different dialect, but the language of ice is pretty much the same, which is pretty neat. And I, I get to learn stuff from other communities as well, because Not every community has the same ice conditions or or go out at the same time in a certain year. It's, It's neat to travel to other communities and train locals. And the local people are usually happy and proud that a northerner is training other northerners that the community need information on because the ice is a part of who we are, it's part of our identity, and um, we just want safe travels for any ice users out there and to come back home safely without any incidents. Thinking about
0: other challenges that, that face these regions, we spoke before, and uh, you had mentioned invasive species. That's not directly related to ice, but uh, I-, I was interested in that. What kind of invasive species are, uh, are you seeing in these regions?
1: Well, it's starting off as micro-invasive species, like no- nothing huge, but we do know they start off small. There has been more sightings of red foxes and more sightings of killer whales during the summer. And I heard one time, one of the mine ships had brought in a raccoon, but that was quickly dealt with as soon as uh, local people heard about it. Then it's because of the warming of the climate. Um, our, Our season will, get a little shorter each year and it will get a little warmer each year. And that will invite more insects because of the warming of the climate. And like I said, it starts off small and who knows what will come up in the North in the future because of the warmer climate.
0: For you, in terms of the future smart ice, uh, I understand that uh, it's kind of opt-in. Communities reach out uh, if if they want to, and and you work with them and and talk about um, how you can partner with them, essentially.
1: Yeah, it's a community effort. I get a lot of credit of what I do, but there's a lot of background in what I do because I don't make all the decisions on where to go on a smart climate run or where to deploy our smart buoys. Um, I like to inform the community and get their feedback and it's been going great using that method and having that relationship with the community is very important because um, you'll, you'll get um, respect out of what you do, you get better feedback and better support on what we do just by listening to the community needs.
0: Well, Andrew, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me.
1: No, no, no problem at all.
0: The ice has sustained the Inuit way of life for countless generations. But key to that way of life is knowing how to travel across that ice to hunt, to gather supplies, and to connect with neighboring communities. The ice is always changing, and, more recently, so is the climate. And While we may not know exactly how these changes will present themselves, for now, in the Arctic, using technology as an extension of traditional Inuit knowledge is the fix. Thank you for listening to The Future Fix, solutions for communities across Canada. We are a partnership between Spacing Magazine and Evergreen for the Community Solutions Network, a program of Future Cities Canada. As the program lead, Evergreen is working with Open North and partners to help communities of all sizes across Canada navigate the smart cities landscape. The Community Solutions Network is supported with funding provided by Infrastructure Canada, this podcast was produced by myself, Glenn Bowerman, and Neil Hinchley. Original music composed by Neil Hinchley. Our content consultant is Sanchita Rajvanchi. See you next time.